following audio was originally recorded live and broadcast to the facilities of Trent Radio on November 8th, 2019. I'm Justin Evangelo. This is Disenabled, the show where we enable the disabled. Great to be back. What happened to the weather? I have no idea. It just got extremely cold, extremely fast, and a lot of people are complaining. I could count myself in that group. Today, I've got a pre-recorded segment with another employee of the Student Accessibility Services Center on the Trent Peterborough campus. (laughs) Her name's Jess Anderson, and I caught up with her. Because unfortunately today, Trent's having an open house, which isn't unfortunate for, well, for anybody who wants to go to Trent. It's unfortunate for me because I couldn't get her in studio. But that said, I do hope everybody listening enjoys this longish interview. I hope I have some time to comment on it after the fact. So sit back, relax. If you're on the road, if you're just chilling back on a couch somewhere, you know, actually listening to radio old fashioned or you're studying and you just so happen to be listening to this. Please enjoy and let's do it. I am at the Student Accessibility Headquarters with Jess Anderson. So happy to be here. It is a little bit echoey where we are, but we're gonna have to deal with it. (laughs) We've made the audio quality as best and as listener friendly as possible. So let's get right down to business. What do you do at Trent University? Mm, what do I do? So I am an accessibility advisor slash learning strategist, so I'm a fun slashy position. Um, my primary goal here is to see students who have a variety of disability related needs and then we set up accommodations for students based on those needs and they're academic accommodations. So. We really look at kind of strengths and functional limitations and create a customized plan for each individual student so that they can access their accommodation. Okay, so your job delves into not only physical disabilities, but cognitive as well? Yes, yes. So the whole spectrum, yes. Great. How long have you been at it? So I've been at Trent since January, so I'm pretty new to Trent, although I did do my undergrad here over a decade ago. (laughs) Um, And then previously I was at Sheridan College as a learning strategist and adaptive technologist. So similar position to Caleb, who you spoke to last week. Right. And I was there for about four years. So Mm -hmm. how does your job differ from, say, an adaptive technologist, or do you have some responsibilities similar to to Caleb's as I spoke to last week? Well, Caleb is unique and so much more knowledgeable about computers and technology than we are. I would say you have to have an understanding of what you can recommend to students um, for technology so you can apply for bursary funding and that kind of piece. Um, And Caleb just really knows what's going on in the tech world and staying on top of new technology and things that are coming up is so crucial for his role. Um, So we collaborate a lot. But my role is much more, you know, advocating with students, setting them up, making sure they can access their 
course curriculum and content. So Caleb's a really nice complementary piece to that puzzle, and it's a role that we couldn't function without. Right, so he's the technology, and I'm not going to say you're on the, the front end or the back end, because I don't want to insult you. We're on different right? ends of the same spectrum, I guess. So what does a normal day look like for you, or is it a case-by-case sort of basis where you sometimes don't know what's coming at you across the desk? <laughs> um, yes, I would say both of those things. Okay. So I see, I see students one-on-one for the most part. Appointments for intake would be usually about an hour because there's lots of content to cover. Students want to share their personal narrative, their strengths, their challenges, and it's really important for us to see the student as a whole. So we can also you know, recommend different resources and different, different strategies to them. So it can change day to day. A student might come in presenting with one thing and you find out something entirely different is coming at you and you have to be prepared for that. So you can try reading documentation ahead of time to get a sense of what might be coming through the door, but you never really, you you know. You can never be fully, really prepared. So perfect segue into this next question. What challenges come with the job? They could be daily, annually. I mean, I've asked, I asked Caleb this last week and yeah. he couldn't pinpoint one specific. And I'm guessing that's more or less the case with you as well. Yeah, that's true. There is a large volume of students, more than ever, that are registering with Student Accessibility Services. So one of the challenges we perceive is sometimes the wait time that students have to come in or... You know, the access is certainly here, but it can feel a little bit restricted. Challenges too with helping students navigate, often if they're first year, they're dealing with, you know, advocating for themselves for the first time. And that can be a bit messy. Um, And it's something we like to help support them through, but it's a pretty common theme. Yeah, there's there's nothing one specific Caleb's right. You always okay. feel like you could have more time. Yeah, for <laughs> that's sure. shared in most professions, I think. All right. Uh, yeah, that's interesting because <laughs> that's two advocates now that have said the same, more or less the same thing. What's been your response to this job so far? Obviously, you've had a, a small sort of taste of what it's like and. <laughs> What do you think so far? I I love it. I have a lot of personal experiences and people close to me with disabilities. So it's something that I feel very passionately about. Uh, So to me, that's easy. The students make it easy because you guys are so wonderful and so diverse. And it's so neat to see how people have developed their own strategies and strengths over time. So I love coming at it from a strengths-based perspective. Well, it's better than the alternative. Yeah. (laughs) Okay, perfect. So it sounds like the Trent community has welcomed you with open arms and you've reciprocated in that aspect. How has the transition from schooling at Sheridan to coming to Trent as an employee been for you? Was it smooth, rocky? It's been lovely. So I'm from Peterborough. I went to Trent for my undergrad and It felt like coming back home for a variety of reasons, but the Trent community is still relatively small. The team here was fabulous. I can't speak highly enough of the team that we've got at SAS and in the Wellness Center. So it's really neat to work with counselors and work with doctors and mental health nurses. So they've just been really gracious in their training and how they integrate 
my role with the wider team has been really valuable. So the atmosphere here hasn't really changed from when you were a student to now an employee <laughs> of, of the university. At its core, I think it's still approaching that small town ideology where people are friendly, they help each other out. You kind of get a sense of other people, if not in your classes, then at least on campus. So it's it's changed in that it certainly has grown. Zosky was very new when I first came mm-hmm. to Trent. Um, so the population has grown for sure, but that core intention is still present. That's what people like to hear, obviously, <laughs> on, a, uh, on a radio show with close ties to the university. Mm-hmm. So let's transition back into professionalism because that's what I'm not exactly paid to do, but that's what I want to do. Yeah, but, that's fair. You've already answered what's most rewarding about the job, which is obviously working with the student body and seeing them succeed. Mm -hmm. So what's one key piece of knowledge or advice that both students and professors should be aware of mutually in order for that success to occur, not efficiently per se, but in the least snag way possible (laughs) with the least amount of hiccups? Yeah. Okay. So in terms of things that they should know... I know I'm going to echo Caleb a little bit in this, but it really is that A, we want to support and advocate for the student, and B, we want to support and advocate for the professors as well. We understand that there's core competencies that need to be met, you know, to uphold the academic integrity of the institution. And so really working smoothly with both students and faculty to either problem solve or advocate or, you know, lay out what student responsibility might be in this scenario is a a process that if everyone's open to ideas and interpretation, we're here to support both parties and getting in touch the sooner the better. (laughs) We run run transitions through the summer. We had six in July. So if a student is coming to Trent, certainly connecting with us as early as May is something that we can set up for you. Why did I ever learn that? (laughs) It's like, Justin, it might have been a little bit different. (laughs) Okay, do you find that both parties or or one more than the other is, is mindful or even thinks about it? Or is it basically a situation where okay September's here what do we do I mean that certainly happens there are students there's more and more students who are coming in earlier in the summer with their families but there are obviously students registering up until now up until the end of November we've got people coming in who maybe their disability is temporary maybe they sustained a concussion and you know it's kind of in the moment that they need to come in or maybe they wanted to try not using accommodations and see how it went and are finding out that it might not be the best fit. Again, it's a case-by-case basis. It depends on the student's situation, the disability, lots. <laughs> I'm not giving you any straight answers. I know. I'm terribly <laughs> sorry. <laughs> That's not a problem per se, but one of the main themes of my show is blanketing. Mm. But... In a lot of the professions, you can't avoid it in some cases because there's no sort of specialized position from your physical disability advocate versus your cognitive disability advocate, right? Right. I could go on and on for hours about how I think that adds to the stereotyping. Right. Uh, Because if you see it in the professional world, obviously, it's going to trickle down into everyday society, Mm -hmm. which is not the greatest, but... You know, you got to do what you got to do. And if 
people don't want to spend the money on hiring more people. That's you know <laughs> something that <laughs> has to be navigated. What is your main methods of advocating? I'm talking more from a physical basis now. Mm. Are you behind a keyboard most often? Yeah. Are you out in the field just talking with professors? Give the audience, if you can, an idea of what it is you operate on a somewhat daily basis. Yeah, yeah, particularly for physical disabilities. So it's kind of interesting you're talking about the blanketing, but each of our SAS advisors, and there's four of us, has specialized areas that we tend to focus on. Okay. Um, and so I tend to deal with chronic medical vision and concussions or acquired brain injuries. So I do have a lot of behind the scenes kind of advocating, particularly with physical disabilities. So an example of that might be orchestrating transportation to ensure that a student you know has accessible transit getting from one location to another talking to facilities right now I'm, I'm in the process of seeing about getting more ergonomic chairs for different lecture halls so that students who are in chronic pain or you know have seating requirements can get access to a different seating emailing professors, calling professors, and having conversations, kind of yeah. without disclosing what the disability or diagnosis is, but noting that there is a need. Um, and sometimes it's just supporting the student while they advocate for themselves as well. Um, so being present or CC'd on communication or just offering my advice and feedback on any given scenario. So when you touch base, I heard you mention something interesting. We're going to go on a little tangent here. All right. I heard you say that you don't disclose a disability to the professor. Mm-hmm. Obviously, people coming through the door here are more than likely 18, so they're adults. Mm-hmm. Do you do that in all aspects of your job, whether it be trying to get, say, one of those specialized chairs for lecture halls? Do you always say, well, I'm not at liberty to disclose what the disability is, but there is a need for it? Yes, that's right. Okay. So. It kind of gives professors confidence as well that we hold all the documentation. And if I say to a professor, I've got the supporting documentation based on based on the need Justin is presenting, they can confidently make a decision. So I would never, ever disclose to a professor or any individual outside of this office. We call it the cone of silence. I will never disclose why a student is registered or even if they are registered. If a student wants to acknowledge me in the hallway, then that is their choice and I will gladly smile back. But if they would like to avoid that and feel stigmatized by it, I'm not going to call them out. And it has to do with human rights code, with privacy, with confidentiality, our adults. And it can make sometimes for difficult conversations when parents are calling and there's no external consent signed. Um, So it's something that we want students to know that it's completely cone of silence. So you're fine with being a a covert operative in in (laughs) a sense. A covert operative in a sense, yes. Because Caleb took it from a way different approach where he's like, I love convocation (laughs) because I get to see all these undergrads and master's degrees coming and, you know, even the slightest smile or nod, acknowledge and saying, thanks, man. Yeah, (laughs) but often they would request that we go there. 
Yeah. So there's a difference between a student who is actively seeking out that personal connection in the broader community and knowing that, you know, this might disclose that I have, but we still wouldn't share what that specific disability may be. For sure. Yeah. That's really good to know. There's not an air of secrecy or deception per se, but no. something that's implemented to make the student comfortable. Yes. Which is what, obviously, you want. That's a huge key to success. Yes. And uh, it's like, okay, I'm going to allow you the opportunity to personally plug yourself then. What's your greatest success story, if you don't mind sharing <laughs> one? My greatest success story? Oh, my goodness. Oh, I can't pick just one, Justin. This is terrible. I really... <laughs> I. My success is always when students come in and they feel either more confident in themselves or I can't tell you how many times students have thanked me for setting up accommodations, which to me, I, I don't thank you. I'm, I'm providing you equal access. Yeah, it's all part of the job. Right? So particularly students with the new diagnosis, it's really empowering for them and really um, empowering for me as a result to see you know, how these simple, sometimes small accommodations can make such a huge impact on the student's experience academically, socially, you know, in the wider, wider community. I mean, that's the real thrill. <laughs> okay. Have you ever, I know you've been working here for a very limited time. Have mm -hmm. you gotten the chance to help somebody who was just finishing up any kind of degree or doctorate through their final year? Mm -hmm. Have you had that opportunity? Yeah, I have, okay. particularly students. So in, in April, right, it was graduation. And some students, there was one or two in particular, just the concussions tend to come at the worst time of the year. And so trying to navigate final exams while this student is going off to a graduate program and you know navigating things with professors, with parents, I had some really lovely feedback from one or two students in particular that, you that, know, that, they were able to graduate as a result yeah. of of the supports and advocacy that was put into place. Well, that's got to be a, a nice self-esteem boost, right? It's a to great self-esteem boost, <laughs> much needed. That, that, that yeah. obviously keeps you coming back to <laughs> yeah, Blackburn Hall. It does. <laughs> Is there any last remarks you have regarding any sort of stereotyping, any sort of advice, anything that all parties involved in your job, whether it be third party facilities you need to get certain accommodations from, mm. professors, students, anything. They don't even have to be blanket ones. We can break them down <laughs> one by one. No, my, um, well, pardon me for blanket statementing, Justin, but if you don't know something, just ask. You can reach out to us and we will, if we do not know the answer, we will find it out. We will guide you in the right direction. And that goes for parents, students, interested students, professors, TAs, We've helped so many individuals navigate different scenarios, and I'd like to think that we're warm and welcoming. Yeah, we're a good team, and we're here to help. One last question, sure. then. I didn't expect that. Oh, oh. <laughs> Do you feel that there's an intimidation factor from some professors or some school admin, even TAs, when they hear accessibility services like oh no I better be on my best behavior <laughs> there might be some misconceptions out there it's tough when you don't have the student or the professor perspective as I don't but we do try to educate professors to get away from that I'm sure there certainly is that perception Justin you're absolutely correct 
And, you know, whether that's us trying to meet with the departments individually and saying, here's what we can offer and here's the support and what we do, it's a balancing act. So you obviously want to break down that barrier of yeah. there's no need to tiptoe around us. We're no. just as equal as you in trying to help the students succeed, right? We exactly. can only do so much. Exactly. Terrific. Jess Anderson, everybody. Thank you so <laughs> much for taking a few minutes out of your day. This is some great content. Thank you, Justin. Perfect, perfect stuff from Jess. Thank her so much. Jess, big shout out to you. I don't think you're hearing this because you're in the midst of the Trent Athletic Center gym, helping with a student accessibility services vendor type sort of setup. But kudos and thank you again so much for your contributions. Interestingly enough, I took something away from this and I learned something new. I know, surprise, surprise. How could the 18 naive youth year old learn something new? I didn't know that there was a differentiation in SAS advisors, student accessibility service advisors for different types of disabilities. So it's nice to see that they're somewhat regimented and that a blanketing type of differentiation is happening in the professional environment to deal with certain accommodations with people who have certain physical and cognitive disabilities. So that's something for me to keep in mind and for anyone else who does care. (laughs) Interesting to keep in mind as well. The stereotype still exists, but in the professional realm of advocates, apparently they're doing a pretty good job at differentiating certain disabilities and the needs that come with them. I also want to discuss the act of non-disclosure with the professors, even if it's physically evident after the fact. So this is going to take a few minutes. I like it and I don't at the same time. Now, I don't believe it's incumbent upon the advocate to disclose the disability to the professor. Because as Jess said, there's a human rights aspect to that and a person's right to privacy. That said, I'm coming at this from a very narrow perspective because I'm visually impaired and I'm coming from an experience where advocating for oneself and having the motivation and confidence to speak freely about my disability was encouraged. And I know that's not the case in a lot of people who have physical disabilities situations. That said though, and I know it's way easier to say than do, I think it's the responsibility of the student if so required, and even if not, to educate the professor or any other school admin from an academic perspective as to how their physical disability is going to impact them, and to to let them know. Because the only way to beat the stigma of physical disability discrimination, as I've discussed in previous episodes, is to inform people and break the ignorance barrier. And that's my favorite term, and I know I use it a lot, but that's all. That's what it comes back to, all what it comes back to. If people don't know something, they don't know to ask about something. And it's better to tell them, to touch base with them, so they have that in their back pocket. And it also gives them experience working with the student in terms of not exactly knowing what to do, but being aware of what they could do in order to help them out. So there's two sides to the coin. If you don't feel comfortable telling a professor, school admin, any sort of academic authoritative professional that's supposed to help you learn, completely understandable. And the non-disclosure is great because it may prevent any sort of bias or different view of the person 
student, I mean, if they have a physical disability that's not overtly communicative. But again, even so, talk to your profs. Tell them what you need. Let SAS do their job or any sort of other regimented disability advocates headquarters and assistances. But self-advocacy is invaluable to the experiences that people with physical disabilities have. And I know I, I talk about for people who are ignorant, you know, who are quote-unquote fully bodied and quote-unquote normal, oh, just ask them. Well, sometimes they don't know what to ask or that there is even an issue. The only way they're going to know is if it's brought to their attention. In advocating independently, you're letting the person, the professor, the academic personnel know personally what you need because it's a case-by-case basis as I talked and as was discussed with Caleb Hunt. It's a case-by-case basis. Jess also elaborated on that too. So that's my two cents. If nothing else can be gotten from this interview, I implore anybody listening, if you don't know something, even if you're physically disabled, not physically disabled, please ask. If you don't know something, if you want to know something, if you have a misconception about something, if you're curious, want to know, it doesn't matter, just ask because that's absolutely imperative to understanding. You cannot educate yourself about physical disability or anything for that matter if you don't ask questions. Please, if you do nothing else. Unfortunately, it's time for me to sign off in dramatic fashion. Thank you so much for listening. I appreciate it. Everybody have a great Remembrance Day. Of course, don't forget to honor those who lost their lives and who are still suffering with the traumatic effects of the world wars and any other wars who are still surviving. Have a great week. Next week, we'll be hitting the ice and talking about sports and disability, physical disability, and I will actually have a live studio guest. So stay tuned for that. Have a great one, and I'll catch you next week.